This week in Proverbs, my objective, this one week in Proverbs, my objective is to make us think about wisdom. I want to expound the grace, the marvelous grace of the simple truth proclaimed in Proverbs 1 verse 20 that says, wisdom cries aloud in the streets. It cries aloud in the marketplace. She raises her voice. Then later on it it speaks, it uses the word reprove a a couple of times and the purpose of wisdom to reprove us. And then there's a, a warning if we would reject that reproving. And then there's an amazing promise at the end of the chapter in Proverbs 1 that was read that has to do with dwelling secure, which is a tremendous hope, a a marvelous prospect of living in this world and in all of the instability that there is in this world, a place of security, a place that is with ease and without dread of disaster, it says. But I want to stop and ask you, first of all, to consider very, very simply what a great mercy it is that wisdom cries aloud. In other words, that wisdom is not mute. It, it calls out. It, it's, it's universal in its call, and, it, and it's loud, and it, it speaks so that people can hear it. What a, what a, just consider that simple mercy of God that wisdom is not shut away somewhere only accessible by some secret code, but rather it calls out all the time, kind of like gravity is always working, so wisdom is always calling. Why is that such a great mercy? It is a great mercy because the call of wisdom is a call to that place of safety. It is a great mercy because it is a call to a wisdom that that works. It is a great wisdom because it brings us into a place of refuge. Proverbs 18 verse 10 says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Not might be or should be, but is, it is. The The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. Why are they safe there? Because that name of the Lord and the fear of the Lord that wisdom embodies brings us into a place of safety. You're probably familiar with that verse, but let me read the next verse of Proverbs 10. This is why it's not a great idea to put verses on coffee mugs, because there often isn't room for the verse that goes after the verse that we put on our coffee mug. This is the verse that comes after. It says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. It's like, oh, okay, there is a real safe place in in the wisdom of God, but there's also these alternate places of safety that we try to create, and in our imagination, somehow we think we're safe there. And that is why wisdom's call is, is such a mercy, is because it truly brings us to a safe place. Another reason that wisdom call is such a mercy for us is because that we, as we live in this world, 
As we try to figure this world out and all of the, the material substance of this world and, and not only the things around us, but the things within us and our, our, our very nature, our very identity and trying to figure out our, our circumstances that we live in, wisdom connects us to something that existed before there was anything. Wisdom existed before the world was created. And in, in fact, the scriptures go beyond that and says that, that wisdom was the very instrument that God employed to make all that there is. That was alluded to in the Psalms in our invocation to worship this morning. But here also these words from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3 says this, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens, and by his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Also, in Proverbs chapter 8, it says this regarding the age of wisdom. When, when, where, where does wisdom come from, or where did it begin to exist? And it's affirmed all over in the scriptures that it existed before creation ever existed. Proverbs 8.23 says, ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Think about this for a minute. That in in all of the circumstances of this world in which we live, wisdom was before anything was made. And in all of the ways that God commands all that it is made, in all the ways that that we receive God's words, commanding us in, in all of our circumstances and in everything that was made, wisdom precedes the command of God. It's no wonder that, there's a, that there is a, a, a compatibility, a symmetry between what God commands us in this world and our thriving because the wisdom of God is built into the very fabric of this world. The wisdom of God precedes the commands of, of God before God ever spoke his first command. There was wisdom. You know what God's first command was? I'm not speaking of the Ten Commandments and thou shalt not have any other gods before me, but God's very first command wasn't actually to us or to anything already created. God's very first command was to a formless void. And God's first command said this, let there be light. And before that command and in that command was wisdom. And so wisdom calling aloud is a great mercy because there's a symmetry, there's a compatibility between everything that it has made, everything that we're trying to figure out, everything that we're trying to make our way in. There's a great symmetry between what God says and the wisdom that helps us to be safe in this world and to thrive in this world. My emphasis on wisdom's call today won't be so much on the substance of wisdom, in other words, what what wisdom says, but rather on the function of wisdom. How does God use wisdom? In other words, not so much on on what is the, the body that makes up the substance of wisdom, but rather, why does wisdom call aloud? What is its purpose? What is its function? How does God use it in our lives? And I'm going to identify some seasons of life that you'll probably be able to identify with and find familiar. Some seasons of life that show how wisdom functions. 
to keep us in God's grace and God's purpose for this mercy of wisdom. Wisdom cries out. It is a great mercy. And it, it's used by God in very significant ways in seasons of life that I'll identify. And then I'm going to illustrate that from an Old Testament story, the story of David, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And then I want to also illustrate it from the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the main point that I'd like you to be able to take home with you today. You're already at home, but God's wisdom not only has a substance, but it has a function as well. You're probably used to or accustomed to the idea of imagining wisdom, perhaps like a book, and, and there's a lot of substance to it. There's a, a lot of information, and it, you open the book, and there's, there's a lot of things that, that can be said about the substance of wisdom. But I would like to switch your imagination from a book to a tool, something that God picks up, not only uh, that, that is is something that informs us, but something that has a deliberate function by God in our life. As God picks it up as a, as a tool or as an instrument in God's hand, then God employs wisdom. He picks it up as a tool. Wisdom's call functions in our life in a very specific and wonderful way to keep us in God's grace through all the seasons of life, not some of the seasons of life, but, but through every season of life that we go through. And life definitely does have different seasons where we need God's grace. There are, there are seasons of vulnerability when we are vulnerable to falling away and we, we feel it. And I want to demonstrate how the call of wisdom is an instrument, a tool in God's hands, and it functions in those times of vulnerability to keep us safe. Do you believe God keeps you? I hope you believe that, that it's not merely by your own exertion or by your own power or by your own wisdom, but that you have a confidence that, that God keeps you safe. But do you ever ask the question, well, how does God keep me safe? What does God do to keep me safe? What, what are the tools? What are the instruments that God employs? What should I expect? What does his rod and staff look like on my life in order to keep me safe? That is the purpose and the function of the call of wisdom, why wisdom calls aloud in the street. God uses it to keep us safe by reproving us. Reproving us in seasons where we are vulnerable to foolishness. That's why Jeremiah 6 says, stand in the crossroads. Stand there, like in that, that place of, of life's intercourse, that, that place of, of indecision, that place of what way am I going to go? Stand there and call out and ask. Ask for the ancient ways. There is such a thing. And God uses it to give us rest. It is a, a marvelous thing, isn't it? thing. And I'm going to go through, through three things that, that wisdom's call does. Those three things are, he gives us an identity that works. It gives us a reality that works. And it gives us a life that works. First of all, an identity that works. One of the seasons of life that we go through is that we often embrace identities that don't work. 
In other words, we take on identities foolishly that we can't live them out really because they're not really who we are. And there's nothing more fundamental to, to thriving and being safe and to have an identity that is true to who we are and that we can actually live out. The call of wisdom functions by God and is an instrument of God to constantly give us an identity that works. The most basic function of wisdom's call is to constantly establish our identity, our true identity in this world. Wisdom calls aloud. To who? To us. <laughs> now, I'm going to be painfully obvious here. Bear with me. Okay, this is very profound. That we are the recipients of wisdom, not the dispensers of wisdom. Do you see the identity, the which side of the equation or the which side of the conversation that we are on and the identity that that gives us? We are the creatures. We are not the creator. We are the ones being spoken to. We are not the ones speaking. We are the ones receiving wisdom. We are not the ones giving wisdom. And the function of wisdom is to remind us of this most basic fundamental thing about our identity before God. And it is a, it is a gracious gift in a seasons of life when we are vulnerable, particularly vulnerable to things like pride. See, pride is not only a defiance of God, but pride is also the desire to replace God. And we go through seasons of life like that where we, we wouldn't articulate it like that, where, yeah, I want to be God. I, I, God, I, I want to do what you're doing. <laughs> but in, in our attitudes, in our sinfulness, character, in our, it, it, at, the, the, at the root of it, at the bottom of it, is not merely a defiance of God's throne, but as Satan is described in the scripture, as Babylon, the nature of Babylon is described all through the scripture as well. There's the desire not only to defy the throne, but to cast the throne down and to replace it. To take our own place on that throne. And it's, it's a very foolish place of pride at a very personal level. I've been considering lately how the nature of my pride and the nature of my sin flows from something like this. That is a pride that, that makes me think that I can take the place of God. And it's not an identity that works. That's painfully obvious too, because I'm not God. For example, my anger, my frustrations, come from a pride that wishes I was in the place of judge. I wish I was the judge. I wish I was the one that dispensed judgment. My jealousies, my discontentment, my greed, my, my despair comes from a pride that puts me in the place of providence instead of God. 
To take God's place, though, is not an identity that works for us because we are not God. And it comes with a tremendous consequence. This is why wisdom's call and functioning to remind us of our identity is such a mercy. Because to take the place of God, to, to try to take on an identity that you can't live out has tremendous consequences for thriving in this world. It comes with a tremendous sense of anxiety. It comes with a tremendous sense of, of dread of the future because we're actually not God and we can't control circumstances the way that we wish that we could. And it comes with these consequences of, of anxiety and dread, two of the, of the great plagues of our day because we try to be something that we are not. Contrast that with Proverbs. 133, it says, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. It's because we have an identity that works. Secondly is a reality that works. We can embrace realities that don't work just like we can embrace identities that don't work. Life sometimes has seasons of not only pride where we're vulnerable, but seasons of doubt. I could spend a month of Sundays on these th things that I'm describing, but I'm going to bank on the fact that you're familiar with these seasons of life enough that I don't have to spend much time describing them, that, that you know them by experience. And some of you may even be able to identify them as your present circumstances now. But one of the seasons we, of life that we go through that we need God's grace to keep us in, to keep us safe in, is a season of doubt. We can face difficult and sometimes very disheartening circumstances. And sometimes that difficulty can make us wonder about the reality of God. To question the reality of God. And sometimes not only the difficulty of circumstances, but sometimes the failure of people, the failure of people, sometimes God's people that we trust can make us deeply cynical. Sometimes I have phone conversations that, that go something like this. How are you doing? Well, I'm, I've gone through and name the difficult circumstances. Name the person, the Christian that has failed them. And they'll say something like this, you know, I'm not really interested in church so much anymore. Not really interested in worship. I, I, I don't read my, my Bible anymore. Those are real seasons of life that, that real Christians go through. That we need the grace of God, that we need the functioning of, of wisdom's call in our life for a reality that transcends the circumstances of our life, that isn't dependent upon the faithfulness of people around us, but transcends that, that it, that it is greater than that, that endures through all of it, of a, of a reality that is unchangeable in all of the things in life that we go through, no matter how difficulty, difficult it might be. And so wisdom calls out. And the function of wisdom 
the, the way that wisdom is a tool in God's hand is to graciously affirm to us that there is indeed a reality that does transcend our circumstances. The reality of God is not contingent on the faithfulness of humans and how foolish we would be to take our circumstances and to, to use the, the failure of, of people around us and use those things to build an alternate reality that we somehow think is going to work better for us. And again, we wouldn't say, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to build an alternate reality tomorrow. But in our discouragement, in our disillusionment, that's exactly what we are doing. If we, if we reject and have doubts about the reality and the existence of the living God and his sovereign, gracious care over all things. And the function of wisdom is to wake us up to the foolishness of alternate realities that we embrace that we think somehow could better explain how it is that we came to be how it is that the world came to be all because we face difficult circumstances and so wisdom's call is one of reproof but it is a gracious reproof how I long for people to, to, to see through their circumstances and, and lay hold of, of a reality that is unshakable, that never changes, and not become discouraged in the circumstances in which God calls them to live through. And again, the, the, the question of that alternate reality is, will you dwell secure there? Is having a reality where there's nothing? Is that a place of, of ease for you? Is that a place of, of dwelling secure? Is that a place of without dread of disaster? And so wisdom's call identifies a reality that works. Thirdly is a, a life that works. Sometimes we embrace patterns of living that don't work. This is probably the most common and simplest understanding of how wisdom functions in our life. All of us are familiar with those seasons of life and the function of wisdom that we're most familiar with is how, how it gives us a life that works when we are tempted to embrace lifestyles, life patterns, habits that don't work for life, that don't work for relationships, don't work for homes. And wisdom's call to us in those seasons of foolishness and folly is to remind us that we are not the best judge. We are not autonomous. We are not self-governed. And we are not the best judge of how to use our tongue or to how to use our money, how to use our sexuality, how to use our time, how to use our leisure. I hope you're familiar with the book of Proverbs well enough that that could easily then take you to the substance, to all of the things that God does say about all of those things. If you've, if you've never habitually read through the book of Proverbs, I would encourage you to do so over and over again. Pour over its pages and soak in the wisdom that God intends to function in our lives, to save us from so much in life that simply doesn't work, that 
that aren't safe paths. An unbridled tongue. A loose sexuality. The pursuit of wealth at all costs. None of those work for sustaining friendship, intimate relationships, homes that are at peace. And all of them have consequences that are beyond our control, especially we think of an unbridled tongue and, and, and all of the, the, the ways that foolishness can lead us to be self-governed and all of the, the unintended consequences that, that come of it leave us again with, in a place of insecurity. Leave us in a, in a place of, of instability because all of those things have consequences on relationships and friendships and homes and lives. And it leaves us again, instead of in a secure place, it leaves us in an insecure place where we're not, we will not be at ease and we will be full of dread of disaster. So Proverbs 3, 6, familiar words to us, I hope, that in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your paths straight. Why are those paths straight? Well, it's because Proverbs affirms in Proverbs 8, 8, that none of my words are twisted. Not one of them. That's why none of his, our paths are twisted if we live in wisdom because none of the words of wisdom are twisted. All of them are straight and so trustworthy. The story of David leaving Jerusalem, abandoning his throne with a few faithful people that were loyal to him. In a place of grief, over his son Absalom. Surely he probably already had a hint in his heart of what Absalom's ultimate future would be in his foolishness. But he resigns himself to, to walk away. And it's quite a sight, a spectacle that is described in the scriptures, very dramatic. It's why it's something that, a story that grips me when I, when I read it of, of this powerful king who had brought all of Israel together and a, and a band of men around him, David's strong men, David's mighty men, the exploits of which are renowned and described later in the history of the Old Testament. But they're walking away and crossing the Kidron Valley. Different people come to greet David, to lament his leaving and for him to console them and some of them offering shows of support and, and on he goes. And then this Benjamite arrives on the scene, cursing him, shouting at him, uh, down on, on the king of Israel, God's anointed one throwing dirt and said, just totally taking advantage of the opportunity when you're down and out, kick him. And David's side man who says, David, why don't, why don't I go take that man's head off that's doing all the talking? 
And David's words in, in that moment are such an illustration, such a picture of the mercy, of wisdom calling out. You see, he, he couldn't turn to the Mosaic law and say, well, how does one leave your throne? What does one do, uh, you know, in, 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 how does Moses tell me how to, to, what to do when there's a usurper? And so David's character, his words, his life, his, his faith is all governed by something that, that penetrates even before the law was ever given, which is a wisdom. And you can see in David's life the function of wisdom, of a strong identity. He was just a creature on God's throne. He, he wasn't actually the king. He was just a creature. And he, as a creature, his, his life was in God's hand. So he's able to say, who knows, maybe God told this man to curse me. <laughs> There's a contentment and a peace and an ease in David's soul. Because he has an identity that is firmly in the realm of, of the creature. There is a strong reality functioning in David's life. If anybody ever suffered and experienced difficult circumstances and betrayal, the story of Absalom and David is, is, is a great example. But David didn't let it dis disillusion him. He said, well, what is, what is God doing? Maybe, maybe he's not up there. Maybe he's not with me. But through it, there's this confidence in a, in a reality that transcended his circumstances and was not contingent upon the faithfulness of the people around him. A very profound thing in this season of David's life. And then the, the wisdom of, of, of life in David just simply being governed Unlike his man beside him, <laughs> where his tongue was bridled and, and the Lord just, he just closed his mouth. Who knows what thoughts, ideas, and words were in his head towards the Benjamite and the unfairness and the injustice that was being hurled at him. But he was governed. He wasn't autonomous, he wasn't self-governed, but he was governed by something outside of himself. It's a, it, it's a marvelous example of blessedness, actually. <laughs> this is how the blessed are described in Sermon on the Mount at the end of Matthew chapter seven also. That his, his life was built on this foundation. And when the storms came, it did not fail him or wash away. And he crossed the Jordan. He probably slept that night by the gift, the gracious function of God's hand upon him through wisdom. But if David is a great illustration of the function of wisdom in our life, the gospel is much greater. The gospel is, is the ultimate way that God's wisdom calls out to us and the ultimate way where, where wisdom is an instrument in God's hand to be upon us 
And there's a very real reason why the gospel is called the wisdom of God. And there's a real reason why Paul says that that Jesus Christ has been made to be wisdom for us. Jesus is made to be wisdom for us because it is in Christ that we are given most clearly an identity that works. And again, it is the identity not of God. It is the identity of the creature, a very significant thing in our discipleship and our understanding of our relationship with God that that we are brought into the place of the sovereign creator of all things as his creature, but a beloved creature, a forgiven creature, an adopted creature, a loved creature. That is an identity that works. And it's an identity that we can live out in this world because God proclaims it to us. It is given to us and can never be taken away from us. It's also in the gospel that we have proclaimed to us over and over again a reality that works. A Lord who is sovereign over all things, who is risen from the grave, who has ascended on high, and all things, whether whether visible or invisible, seen or unseen, all authorities and powers and dominions are brought under his control, under his, in his dominion, and in living in the arms of our Savior, We are brought into a reality that is unshakable in the gospel. That's why Paul in the end of Romans chapter 11, after spending so much time declaring the gospel and explaining the gospel, it says, oh, oh, the depth and the riches of God's wisdom. Who can comprehend it? And of course, the gospel also is something that gives us a life, a life that works. And it's the life of godliness. It's a life that, that is Christ-like in all of the ways that God calls us to live together as God's people and loving one another and living in subjection to him and in subjection to one another. So may God help us to understand the mercy That wisdom calls. It calls aloud to us. And that wisdom has a function. And that function is in the seasons of life when we're most vulnerable. And it comes to us most profoundly in the gospel, even though it is illustrated all through the scriptures. Its pinnacle is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which God has given to us. Please hear these words from Psalm chapter 5 in conclusion. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. You spread your protection over them. You, those who you love, may they exalt in you. For you do bless the righteous, O Lord, and you cover them with favor as with a shield. Would you please pray with me? Almighty God, thank you for your mercies to us each and every day. We pray that you would help us to understand your mercies, what they look like, how they come to us, how they function in our lives. And I pray that that we, as your people, 
would display, would bear the fruit of your wisdom in this world. In this world where people do live with such instability, with such insecurity, with such dread, with such anxiousness. I pray that wisdom's call would lead us to a place of safety. I pray that we would indeed, through the fear of your name, be brought into that tower of refuge. I pray it in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen.